Focus your energy, your goals, and your deliverables on things that you can touch and impact. And remember, everything else is just noise. Welcome to the Sales Expert Podcast, where we explore the world of sales from the perspective of industry experts and thought leaders. My name is Oshim Brown. And I'm Darrow Connor. And this podcast expert is Roderick Jefferson, author of The Sales Enablement 3.0, The Blueprint to Sales Enablement. Roderick, how are you? Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me aboard. Thanks for joining us. Let's get straight into it, Roderick. What is sales enablement? You know, it's interesting. I, I get that question a lot. And it's not that I avoid the, the answer. The question is, it depends upon where the company is in their maturation cycle, right? I've always said, if you ask 10 people what sales enablement means, you'll get 11 answers. For me, sales enablement really is about kind of breaking complexity of sales into practical applications. So things are scalable, they're repeatable, they're automated. But when I explain enablement, I actually give the story of an orchestra. Think about an orchestra. You've got strings, woodwinds, percussion, brass, all trying to play the right song. But sometimes they're out of tune, they're out of phase, they're stepping on top of each other. Guess what? This also happens inside of companies. Marketing, product marketing, HR, engineering, sales, etc. All trying to do the right thing on behalf of the prospect or the customer. But they don't have that, that orchestrator, if you will, to kind of say, you know what, give me more brass, give me more strings, give me more percussion. And in enablement, what we do is we take all of that noise and, and all of that kind of disjunction and, and sometimes dysfunction, and we turn all of that noise into a beautiful sheet of music. How do we do it tactically? We make sure that we're working with um, marketing around messaging and positioning so that it comes off in a sales speak and it hits the right ICP. We work with sales and we say, you know what? Marketing has defined our ICP, but what's our IEP? Because we don't have enough acronyms, right? What's our IEP? What's our ideal employee profile? And how is our seller shifted over the time? If we're an ongoing brand new startup and, and we're going into hyper growth phase, guess what you're focused on? You're focused on onboarding and getting people on as quickly as possible and accelerating that speed to revenue. As you continue to grow in your maturation, now it becomes about the messaging and the positioning and getting the right people to have the right conversations the right way. And that's a great introduction. And when you have the sales journey in the company and the customer's journey mapped out, how do you identify the key drivers that define the role of the sales enablement manager within the organization? Well, I think there's kind of five key pieces here. And then I start with, I always start with recalibration. And that means working with marketing and, and sales to kind of reassess your current ICP, especially over the last year or so with all the changes and also what's going on economically in the world, things are shifting in the way that people buy are differently. But it all begins with the buyer's journey and understanding your true ICP, right? Your ideal customer profile. If you can get that part down, you're well along your way of understanding how you can actually partner with them. The other piece is stop selling. And I know that sounds really odd to say. It, it is about sales, but it's not about selling. It's about helping them to move along the maturation of their buyer's journey, how they buy, who buys, when do they buy, what do they buy. Stop trying to shoehorn them into your sales process, your sales methodology, your selling motion, and reverse that 
so that you now can go and speak to them and understand how to articulate and communicate their buyer's journey. The next piece is the collaboration I talked about, making sure that everyone's on the same page internally. So that conversation between sales, HR, marketing, and sales enablement to reassess what we're doing from a content and a content strategy perspective. The next piece is realigning your sales methodology, your, your stages, your motions, your, your assets, and your collateral to what fits for your buyer, not what you want to sell them. And then finally, it's as we do as enablement leaders and, and practitioners, recalibrate, go back to sales, to marketing, to product marketing, to product management, and then start building those assets, those programs, the platforms, and everything has to tie back. And here's the interesting piece, to revenue focus metrics. I don't say that enablement drives revenue. We don't, unless you carry a bag. I believe that we impact and we influence the way that revenue happens. So if we're talking about driving revenue and we're talking about metrics, while the sales reps are typically measured on their ability and success of reaching monthly targets, what are the foundations and measurable metrics for a sales enablement team or manager? First, and I talk this directly to both the sales leaders and to my fellow practitioners, get away from what I call smiley sheets and butts and seats, first and foremost. And I think that has devalued the value of enablement more than anything and really start focusing on those revenue focused metrics. I believe actually there are two different types of metrics and sets of metrics. One is things that enablement can influence. Then the second is what enablement owns. So tactically, when we're thinking about influence, I'm talking about things like average deal size, deal velocity, um, new pipeline created, quota attainment, both quarterly as well as annual time to close and i don't mean time just to first close but time to first and second close because that first one could have been something that just kind of happened or someone else would have been could have been working on it or it could have just been a bluebird bluebird that landed and boom you're now the recipient of that and then also win percentage against competition now what do i believe that enablement actually owns we own things like certification and accreditation um passing marks our biannual needs, our program-based surveys, our user stats, whether that be the learning management system, content management system, how that's being utilized and how it is impacting along the sales cycle. So we can go back to sales and talk in their language about, look, I see that we hit stage three and this is where we get stuck. And I think we're stuck by what I've seen. And that is I've listened to a number of customers and we have a problem with discovery and qualification or we have a problem with objection handling. As the enablement leader, I go back to that leader and I say, hey, why don't we put together a, an accreditation, a stand and deliver, so that we can make sure that everyone is messaging and positioning on the same page and consistently doing that. That's where I think we can really hit sales, but that's only for sales, Ocean, because now what happens when I'm talking to a sales engineer? manager. And I believe as enablement folks, we've got to be what I call the translators of dialects and languages. And I'm sure your folks in Europe will understand. I've got to be able to speak to my partner, not my customer internally, but my partner, whether it be sales, engineering, customer success, etc. But I need to be able to speak to them in their language. So if I'm talking to a sales engineer leader, I'm not talking about the same metrics as sales. I'm talking about things like the number of demos per deal, 
the number of opportunities that have won, the number of POCs, the length of POCs that go on, and why and when is the best time to articulate and also deploy a POC. Now, what if I'm talking to customer success? Now I've got to change my hat and I've got to talk a whole different language. With them, I want to talk about adoption rates, customer churn, customer lifetime value, customer satisfaction or CSAT. I want to talk to them about engagement rates, escalation resolution, net promoter score, red account reduction, and renewal rates. So as you can see, it's not about just knowing the metrics. It's about knowing the metrics that matter to that particular partner and how to speak to them in their language, not sales enablement ease. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And oftentimes we focus too much, I think, on the win rate. And we don't give enough time to the deals we lose and do a bit more investigation and see where we went wrong and rebuild. Absolutely. I think you learn a lot from losses, right? And what you learn is how to and how not to both concurrently. And it's also a great case study if you're someone that's in a growing, budding, high growth company and you're building out, say, an, a strong onboarding. I've always found that a case study on a loss is far, strong, far stronger than a win because now you get a chance to see how you would and, and or your group, depending upon how the cohort is set up, how you would have approached that problem differently. And that's a great learning opportunity, not only for the students, but for the leaders as well. Let me ask you this question. If you had a blank canvas in a company where no sales enablement previously existed, where would you start and what would your focus be? My focus always starts with an assessment. And my purpose here is understanding the why, not just the what. What did you try? What works? What didn't work? That's all secondary to why did you actually deploy that learning management system? Or why did you approach messaging and positioning the way that you did? I want to talk to marketing. I want to talk to product marketing. I want to talk to product management. I want to talk to sales leaders. And now when I get to the sales leaders, I want to ask them a simple question. What has been your responsibility today of the input of build, deploy, but most importantly, the positive modeling of what you and sales enablement agreed upon, not just from a metrics, but from a delivery perspective as well. Because if they don't own the adoption, the execution, and the positive modeling of, of whether it be a tool, a program, or a process, or a platform, it dies on the vine because it really starts with that first and second line manager. Because what's important to my manager is imperative to me. And if you wanna make enablement stick and sticky inside of a company, it can't be an enablement initiative. It has to be something that's woven into the fabric of the company and it has to start from the top down, whether it be the CEO, the founder, or the head of sales. And in terms of training, what's the difference between sales enablement and sales training? Fantastic question. My mantra has always been, you train animals and you enable people. And what I mean by that is learning is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's an ongoing occurrence, and that's your enablement. Training is something that I believe is a fix. And that's, again, why, unfortunately, we've been kind of tied in as enablement folks to becoming the fixers of broken things and broken people. But when it gets down to true enablement, that really, I look at kind of it as a continuum of sales enablement that connects and leads out to sales effectiveness. And I want to talk about kind of tactically the components. Enablement starts at 
talent the talent assessment and acquisition. It's getting the right people, not just on the bus, but in the right seat and in the right role. And going back to that IEP I talked about earlier, the ideal employee profile, it starts with that assessment and that acquisition. Enablement should be a part of the interview process to make sure that we're getting the right people at the right time that are going to be successful here, not just because they were successful before. The next step is onboarding of building a role specific onboarding program that now is the floor and the beginning of the journey. And that includes both role specific piece, pieces, because we both know you can't talk to a SDR, BDR the same way you do to a seasoned AE, the same way you do to a solution consultant or the way that you talk to a customer success or solution architect, right? The next is business acumen. And I'm talking about everboarding beyond that initial onboarding program that includes your rock star sellers, uh, sellers and legacy sellers. And that's where I've seen things get lost. If you don't include those folks, how are you going to actually make sure that you're validating that for the newbies that are just coming aboard? And also, oftentimes and too often, we're focused on the onboarding of the new folks coming aboard. What are we doing to continually sharpen the sword, if you will, for our legacy folks? The next is about coaching and reinforcement. And I'm talking about at the leadership level. All too often, I've seen absolute rock star sellers get promoted and what do we do? We make them a sales manager, but we never teach them how to be a, man, how to be a leader. And I think there's two different ways of coaching when it comes to leaders, the net new first time, and then again, the legacy folks. And the key is to infuse those two together so you're constantly growing and learning together. The next is, as we just talked about at depth, which is metrics and measurements. And then the final piece that I see left out a lot is succession planning. What are we doing to prepare folks to become more leaders, less managers? And also, let's not try and box them in. Here's an example for you. When I was at a BDR, did well, went to President's Club, got promoted to AE. Again, went to President's Club. What happened? I got promoted to sales leader. And if you read the book, you'll know I turned it down because I realized that I loved the process of selling more than I did actually taking down big deals. So let's prepare succession plans with two things in mind. One, obviously, what are the needs of the business? But secondly, what are the goals and aspirations of the people? Because ultimately, enablement is not about programs. It's not about processes. It's not about platform. It's about the most important P of all. It's about people. I love it. And Roderick, you spoke about the onboarding and the everboarding. And especially for the legacy people in the company, oftentimes you'll have legacy people who struggle where there's changes within the company or organization. And it can be hard for them to adopt. How do you get these people uh, everboarded or onboarded especially when you have so much new technology coming in and they might love the old tried and tested traditional methods of selling face-to-face, -face, building rapport, building the relationship. And companies now are asking them, hey, we don't need you to go out and meet one-on-one. -on -one. We just want you to deliver demos online. I always start with a question, and I know it's going to sound odd. Do you remember at one point dinosaurs inhabited the earth and they always go yeah of course i remember the whole dinosaur thing and i go do you see any dinosaurs around now and their answer is always no and i say exactly because they became extinct because they could not adapt 
So now it opens the door for me to talk to them about the why it's important for them to adapt. No one wants to be a dinosaur. And the only way that happens is if you don't take the ownership of helping yourself to be enabled on things that are available, if you push back, if you decline them, guess what? You are intentionally saying, make me that dinosaur that will be extinct because the folks that are coming in, especially the generation now, they're coming in with broad, open minds, ready to learn and ready to do things differently. And the world has shifted, right? And especially over the last few years with COVID. And honestly, I think COVID was actually one of the best things that ever happened to the enablement industry because it forced us to stop doing things the way we'd always done it. And it forced us to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's what I talk to the legacy sellers about, why it's important. And notice I keep using this word a lot. Why, why, why? Why is it important for you to take ownership of your career and by doing that, ensuring that you don't become that extinct dinosaur? I love dinosaurs. <laughs> you spoke briefly in the book as well about AI. And we've seen in the last few months the kind of surgence of chat, GPT, and other AI platforms. Where do you see that integrating with the sales process and benefiting the sales rep? Game changer. Oh my goodness, this has changed everything. Um, I look at AI differently, I think, than, than some. Some are afraid of it. Others are thinking, oh, it's not really you doing the work, it's you being lazy. So I, I again, I always start with a question. When you're writing a story, don't you use Word? When you're creating a PowerPoint, or you want to get something across, don't you use PowerPoint? When you want to do something um, with numbers or stats, don't you use Excel? And they go, of course I do. It makes life easier. Aha, that's exactly what AI does. And, and if it's done correctly, you can use it as a framework, as kind of a fire starter, if you will, to kind of frame things for you. But here's what you have to do. You have to be able to infuse your experience, your expertise, your anecdotes, and your stories. And what I think IE, excuse me, AI does is it gives us a platform that gets the neurons going to say, oh, I wouldn't have even thought about it that way. Now I do have a story that I can add into that, or I can tell a case study around that piece, or I have some expertise in that area. So I think what it's done is, for, especially for enablement, when it comes to program build, when it comes to deployment, especially when it becomes to iteration of programs, and then on the back end of the metrics. We've all had those, those workshops or those boot camps where you're like, okay, now I've got to go and I've got to pull together all of this information, all my feedback, all of my scores. Guess what? What if I could throw that into a, an AI, AI tool that'll do that for me? What it's done is it's actually increased your efficiency and your productivity because it allows you to multitask and work on something else and let the tool do the work for you. At the end of the day, we still have to go out and make the sale. But I think from my perspective, it's interesting to see what's going to happen in the coming months in terms of the integration to like the Salesforce and one page CRM. All of these sales tools where instead of manually going to create reports, you can just go to the platform through its AI and say, give me a report on X and Y. Well, here's... A Let's go all the way back to the front end of the funnel, because now we're talking on the back end in CRM. Let's go to the front end of the funnel. There's a company called Autobound.ai, and what they do is they help to create, they use AI to create personalized 
um, outbound messaging based upon um, shared experience. Maybe you went to the same school. Maybe you've got um, some uh, hobbies in mind or you just received a new award. This thing actually pulls all of that information in so that when you're sending this out to a particular persona and more importantly to a particular person, you're now talking about commonality and you're starting the front end of a conversation versus a demonstration or just a cold email. It's an amazing tool. And in terms of creating content for LinkedIn, for your own personal branding, what's your take on that? You'd be foolish not to. I put out a lot of thought leadership around enablement and particularly this part of, of the conversation around where are we going? I use the tools again as a framework and now I'm getting the questions, did you write that? or did the bot write it? And I think that to me is the best question that anyone can ask because now what it says is you can't delineate between what I wrote and what it wrote, which means it's starting to understand me better. It's starting to now infuse. And because I'm able to infuse my experience, my brand, my background into whether it be a blog or a post or whatever it may be, what that says to me is it's doing its job. Roderick, can you share with me one piece of advice for sales reps, sales managers, or sales enablement managers they can take away and apply to their own sales processes? I'll start with saying this. There is no new normal. There's only a next normal. Because new infers it's something that we've seen before and we can lean upon. Where we're going into right now, both what's happening in changes quickly every day in the world with the macroeconomic situation, with the infusion of AI and that's only going to grow more, it's a whole new chapter. So I'll give you kind of four things. First of all, we know that although we're not face-to-face -face as much as we used to, relationships have always and will continue to be the backbone of success. There has never been a time where leading with humanity, empathy, and EQ has meant more than it does today. The second piece is, don't be the dinosaur. Adjust. Pivot to, to delivering what I call deep value around the improvement of discovery and qualification skills, as well as having conversations instead of giving presentations. Adjust to this virtual experience that we're in right now and learn how to really build that rapport and have those conversations differently than the way we used to. We can't go out and do happy hour. We can't go do the golf tournaments and the things we had before. So now you really have to dig deep, do your, your research up front, make sure you're prepared. And remember, Disco and Qual is all about asking questions. It's not about giving the right answers always, but being prepared to answer their question in a way that shows that they can only be successful by working with you and your company. The next is, you know what, commit to designing, building, and incorporating enablement into the fabric of your company, as I said earlier, as part of your go-to-market strategy. And remember, enablement is a partner. We're not sales support. We're not sales servants. We're here to work hand-in-hand -hand with the leaders to make sure that we can make things more efficient and we can optimize revenue. And the final piece is, because so much is happening so fast, there's a lot of noise. Focus your energy, your goals, and your deliverables on things that you can touch and impact. And remember, everything else 
is just noise. Roderick, that's brilliant. Roderick, I bought your book about one year ago today. It's the one book I carry around with me and reread. I always have it in my bag. The Blueprint of Sales Enablement Excellence, Sales Enablement 3.0. Can you tell anyone interested in checking your book out where they can purchase it? Absolutely. You can find it on Amazon or anywhere where you purchase um, paperback books, hard books, as well as ebooks. And I've even put it out on audiobook now. And if people want to find you, have you a website? Absolutely. You can find me at my website at RoderickJefferson.com. You can find me on LinkedIn at Roderick Jefferson. You can find me on Instagram at Roderick underscore J underscore associates. Roderick, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Roderick. That was brilliant. Thank you. My absolute honor.